Welcome to the Zero Hour Podcast, sponsored by Beecher Madden, the podcast that gives you the insights, techniques, and tools into top guests from the cybersecurity, governance, forensic, and data world. Welcome to the latest episode of the Zero Hour Podcast, and I'm your host, Cole Sharman. Today we are joined by Mike Spain. Mike is an innovation and growth expert and neurodiversity advocate in the cyber sector with excellent links across the government, industry, and academia. He is a driven, adaptable, and innovative leader with influence at senior government and C-level industry. His leadership of diverse multi-organisational teams in complex and challenging environments consistently deliver measurable benefits. Mike has over 10 years consulting experience across a variety of sectors, including cyber, defence and government. He leads the operations of Cyber Growth Partnership and Cyber Exchange Initiative, working passionately to enable growth of the UK cyber sector and development of a sustainable UK cyber ecosystem. Hope you enjoy Beecher Madden are recruiters for cybersecurity and corporate governance professionals. Leveraging our long-held relationships, industry knowledge and data-driven approach, we help companies and candidates make better hiring decisions. Hi Mike, thanks for joining us today. No worries, thank you very much Carl. Let's start from the beginning, where were you born? So, as a, uh, someone who's spent his last few years in the cybersecurity sector, I should probably not give you my place of birth. Let's just say the UK, yeah, the South Coast, <laughs> I could probably go to that level. I was going to say, you're getting quite precise there now. Yeah, that uh, doesn't leave much open, does it? But uh, yeah, UK, South Coast, that's good. <laughs> I've actually got it, I'm trying to keep my cool. Who are or were your parents? So my parents, um, my, my father uh, had a, a lifetime career pretty much in IBM as a uh, project manager, I believe. Um, although for some reason he doesn't talk about it very much. I don't nice. know if that's a reflection on IBM or himself. But, uh, <laughs> uh, my mother was a graphic designer. Uh, influences from both sides have rubbed off on me, I think. Yeah. But, um, not the career in graphic design or IBM, but uh, elements of I look at them now and I can see elements of myself in, in there and indeed their career. So, uh, Anything specifically that's influenced you? I think more on my mother's side. Um, uh, we do a lot of, uh, of work with, uh, with government on organising and coordinating innovation and growth events at the moment. And um, I find that I, I have a passion in designing the, uh, the, uh, the the marketing material and the event material for it. Oh, not bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> Go and have a look. Yeah. You sound so surprised. Well, I kind of surprised myself, yeah. But um, it's a, a skill perhaps that isn't necessarily applicable to a cybersecurity sector, but um, is applicable to catching people's interest and raising profile of uh, various initiatives that we're that we're running. So, uh, and it saves me a few quid as well on graphic designers. I can so, imagine. You know. What was your education like? So, my education, um, my parents, uh, my, my father was a uh, Catholic, and so I went to a, a Catholic school, um, and uh, it was okay. I remember it being reasonably strict. Yes. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it was, uh, it was fine. It was, uh, 
we grew up on the south coast uh, and uh, on a place called Hailing Island actually which is an island from Portsmouth not, not far from Portsmouth yeah. no <laughs> um, and um, uh, yes no, spent uh, many many happy years there and uh, and then moved away uh, when it came to university years uh, so I um, I went up to uh, up to Oxford uh, not Oxford University the other place Brooks. on the hill Brooks yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, studied mechanical engineering to start with. You could have left out the Brooks part, by the way. You could have just said Probably I went to Oxford. could have got away with that. Yeah. Like, oh, it was great. I met my um, lifelong friends there, I think. And, uh, you know, many people we still keep in contact with today. Social media makes it much easier than it was. But um, it's, uh, it was, uh, you know, very formative years, shall we say. Perhaps more so than school for me. I think it was, um, uh, took me a few years to mature. Yes. In fact, I'd, I've probably only just achieved that at uh, <laughs> the ripe age of 40. So uh, we won't go into that. I can say, you changed your tune from the first answer, from your first answer you gave for the first question, because you've now given us your age, where you where you were basically born and lived. Yes, yeah. I'm easy to socially engineer, Carl, <laughs> it would seem. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I don't say- use any of those in, uh, you know, in... in, in <laughs> Any sort of security, sort of security situation whatsoever. <laughs> so, when was the first time you come across cybersecurity? So, out of university, I uh, started working for uh, a company called Atkins. Now, Atkins is a large multidisciplinary consultancy. Um, probably most people would recognise it for its uh, engineering background uh, and construction, uh, and certainly project management within those uh, within those industries. Um, but it has a, a large and growing. Uh, sector in uh, aerospace, defence, security and technology. Uh, And I joined at the time their management consultant division. This was back in 2005, something along those lines. Um, And from there I honed my skills as a project manager uh, and as a project director. And um, I believe we were implementing ISO 27001 at the time, project managing the implementation of a standard like ISO 27001 across a large organisation, or a part of a large organisation, was really my first introduction to information security, it was called at the time, um, which I think evolved to information assurance or vice versa, and now it's cool, so it's called cyber and so on. Um, But um, the good thing about a standard like ISO 27001 is that it covers all areas, or pretty much all areas, of uh, of what you need to do to run a successful security campaign and uh, and strategy. Um, So it really opened my eyes to what's required and why, I think, as much as anything. Yes. Um, And, um, you know, the tricks as well. So uh, that was successful, and we remain certificated to this day. Uh, The scope has broadened a bit, but, um, you know, it was... A successful implementation which I was very proud of so that then led to some more client that was internally so that led to some client assignments doing similar work uh, which led finally to three years ago um, uh, being offered the chance to work directly with government uh, for the cyber growth partnership now the cyber growth partnership is made up of uh, industry academic and government membership um, chaired by uh, minister level um, currently Margot James previously Matt Hancock before that, Ed Vasey, and before that, David Willett. So we've got a track record. Yeah. Um, it's a, a strategic advisory board into government now uh, that um, uh, is uh, around uh, 18 members. So um, uh, we look at things like uh, you know industrial strategy. We uh, we make sure that uh, you know government strategy is informed by uh, you know by, by industry and academia as well. Um, you know to make sure that our, our 
cyber growth in the UK is represented by you know by all interested parties, and this uh, you know leads into um, a coordinated view of the uh, you know the, the, the sector deal and the industrial strategy, for example, and has led to um, various projects that are aimed at helping the UK cyber sector grow. And the cyber exchange is a very good example of that. And that's what we're here at InfoSec 18 uh, promoting, cyber exchange and the cyber neurodiversity group. It seems like from research and your profile that you're striving for uh, more accessi accessibility, easy for me to say apparently, and partnerships in the industry. Why have you got such a passion for this? So this stemmed from uh, two, a couple of years ago, uh, my son was diagnosed with, uh, with autism. And that got me looking at what potentially his prospects might look like, his opportunities might look like, and the outcomes might look like, and what pathways to work might look like. Now, I've got no guarantees that he might be interested at all in a career in cybersecurity, but when I started investigating what the, uh, you know, what the UK landscape looks like, it doesn't paint a particularly pretty picture. The statistics are of, of long-term employment for those with autism, diagnosed autism, is pretty low. 16% employment. Uh, which didn't sit particularly comfortably with me. And I think our sector, the cyber security sector that we know and love, um, is potentially and can potentially provide an ideal environment for those who find uh, you know, uh, themselves on the autism spectrum or indeed with a neurodiverse condition, of which autism is one, uh, might well provide the ideal environment for a very successful career. I think the, um, this then evolved uh, when we... Through the cyber exchange, we're pretty good at coordinating across industry, government, and, uh, and academic uh, members. And um, you know, we've built up a pretty good network through cyber exchange as well. And um, I wanted to test it. I wanted to, uh, to you know, to work with these guys and see what the appetite was out there um, for you know making improvements here, you know, getting better. And it turns out that industry agrees with me. Yes. And so does government. And Which so does academia, and so do the, the important differentiator here uh, is that uh, the third sector charities do also. Now there's a number of great charities that support autistic adults and autistic kids. Uh, National Autistic Society is, is a very good example who are on our board. Um, but there's also fantastic capability and experience within industry. Now GCHQ have been good at this and have learnt a lot about how to be good at this over the last 30, 40 years. And, um, it's hugely important uh, that they are part of this group, and they are probably my primary uh, partners in, you know, in, in making this work. I don't think we'd be able to do it as effectively without. The point of it, and we've um, we put it together as the Cyber Neurodiversity Group, which isn't as catchy as I wanted it to be. Actually, <laughs> might have to revisit that. But um, our aim is to uh, first, in, you know, in the, we set it up in October last year. Um, and uh, our aim is to increase knowledge and awareness within the cyber sector um, to make sure that those that are interested in employing neurodiverse guys are ready to do so, that they see the benefits in doing this, that they don't remain, they don't see this as a challenge or they don't, well, that's not strictly right, they, they don't see this as a, uh, a charitable thing to do out of altruism or corporate social responsibility. We want to highlight the real kind of commercial benefits of doing this, um, and uh, certainly one of our members, a, a IT consultancy called Autocom, um, they're a, a consultancy who employ nothing but autistic consultants, and um, maybe that model might sound a bit uh, a bit unusual to some, and it did to me until I started working with them. 
and um, it turns out that in certain tasks and in certain environments, uh, their consultants can outperform incumbent staff by as much as 50%, which is a real commercial benefit, and that would make the board sit up and listen. I think the associated benefits with having a diverse team um, across all elements of diversity are well proven that a diverse team is more likely to be effective, more likely to be creative, more happier, more productive. It's, uh, you know, I've certainly found this. Um, if you employ just the same type of person, you'll get just the same type of answers. And it's increasingly important to be innovative, be creative, be entrepreneurial, be, uh, you know, look at problems with a different mindset. So, I mean, think outside the box is such a 90s management thing to say, but yes. it's absolutely right. Neurodiversity represents different ways of, of thinking, and I think, and we think, on the group, that the difference is strength and can lead to, uh, you know, huge productivity gains. Just going back to neurodiversity as a word, what does that mean to you? Sure. So, neurodiversity is a term that was uh, actually coined by. Um, neurodiverse guys themselves so it's a, a good term to use that you can be happy with yes. um, it includes autistic spectrum condition or ASC but it also includes uh, associated conditions such as uh, dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalcula dysnomia which is um, memory recall um, ADHD and OCD um, don't ask me to explain what each one is because it's quite a long-winded <laughs> exercise. Some of them you'll probably be aware of and maybe some not, but um, uh, it's... Um, there's, there's, studies have shown that um, those who are on the autistic spectrum usually display one or more of the uh, you know, associated conditions such as dyslexia or dyspraxia, um, but it's not the other way around. Um, but what we're saying here is that to make the environment uh, accessible and inclusive as we possibly can, we need to make some changes. We need to be flexible and we need to make adjustments. But what we're saying here, the point is that if you make those adjustments, they can be beneficial to everybody. So it's not like you, you're doing this just for one person's benefit. You're doing it for the benefit of all. So, you know, a more flexible working environment, yes, please, that sounds great. Clearer communications, sounds good, right? Um, you know, good leadership, we all benefit from good leadership, you know, it's uh, the clearer processes, cutting red tape, different ways of being able to, you know, to access employment and, and so on. And I think, you know, all of these things can, can, can benefit us all. So it's, it's, you know, it shouldn't be compartmentalised just necessarily to neurodiversity or one thing, but that might well be the thing that instigates this, you know, this change in our sector. What are the most common barriers these people will see? I think um, fear of the unknown. I think um, one of the benefits of, of, uh, of InfoSec and uh, you know other events that we attend, like Cyber UK that was up in Manchester this year, people are quite happy to share their stories with us and their stories of either direct experience themselves or experience that their uh, you know a colleague has had or family member or child or whatever it might be and some of the more powerful ones are around um, employers demanding a certain type of person and not being flexible and not understanding that flexibility can lead to strength um, and they have felt um, 
really constrained by that, very upset by that, very stressed by that, um, very depressed by that, and ultimately, uh, you know, um, forced out by that. Now that sounds like a particularly toxic working environment. When we're talking about potentially so many benefits of uh, you know, different ways of thinking and different skill sets and uh, you know, different approaches to problems, why on earth would you not want that? Why would you not want to you know, enable that and allow that and make sure that um, you know, everyone is able to be the best they can be? Um, and ultimately, leaving the company like that was probably the best thing they ever did and found a much more suitable job in a company that's much more forward-thinking. But I think it's perception is the, uh, you know, the biggest challenge that, uh, that um, we've been... So one of the things we, one of the things we really want to do um, is to um, make it much easier for neurodiverse guys to access our sector. Uh, so we're working with um, you know, HR teams um, and uh, looking at ways that we can streamline you know, onboarding processes and um, you know, recruitment processes so that we can attract neurodiverse candidates who may well be put off by the, the standard um, uh, job application type paperwork. What we found is that um, many employers, you know, approach a, a job advertisement by listing must have, must have, must have, must have, must have, ad infinitum. Now, you might interpret that as well. What they really mean is, you know, kind of has that, a bit of that, probably <laughs> can do that quite well, and a bit of that, and must have that. So that's fine, and I'll apply anyway. And. Um, to a neurodiverse mind, that might be a bit different. That when they say they must have, must have, must have, they really mean they must have. So I won't even bother replying. So we're already losing those skills and losing, you know, that creativity. Um, but even before we've started, because we've put them off at the front door. Um, if we make that easier and we, we, we're creative, we get a bit innovative about this whole process, different ways of recruiting, you know, maybe, how can we, but what are we actually trying to achieve? We're trying to allow people to best demonstrate what they're really good at, and then we'll make a call on whether that's appropriate for what we're looking for. Um, so we need to be a bit more creative about how we, how we approach that. Um, you know, ideas that have been floated uh, could be around, um, you know, allowing people to submit video interviews or, um, you know, even recorded interviews like this, um, uh, rather than having to follow the usual uh, application process. And again, that should be open to everyone. Now, that will mean some change and will mean some, you know, a bit of adapting to a new way of doing it because that's very, uh, uh, you know, unlike the usual process that you might follow. But, um, you know, I think over time, and we're not planning that uh, this should be adopted by everyone across the board um, in the next year, but it's something that we want to look at, something that we want to test. Let's see if it works. Let's see if that, um, you know, that helps. And I think one thing, um, one thing that's really important is that uh, on our cyber neurodiversity group, we, um, you know, we're well represented by neurodiverse guys. So they um, uh, can help inform whether that's a good idea or whether that won't work or, yeah, but you need to think of this. Um, it helps us work towards getting it right and influence our strategy. When we go out to events like this and when we run other events, um, uh, such as um, uh, we run an event or will be running an event at Shrivenham, which is the Defence Academy, which also has a tank museum attached to it, which is, uh, <laughs> adds a certain kind of uh, you know, quality. Um, but this is a, a, something that Cybersecurity Challenge UK run, uh, we support, uh, where neurodiverse guys, their you know, parents, carers, adults, kids, 
educators, industry, government can come together to introduce the cyber sector and meet. And we use the we want to use this as a uh, an opportunity to um, you know to to test some ideas and to hear back from the very people that we want to uh, you know to make the industry more accessible for. Um, and uh, you know I think that's a critical to you know to getting this uh, or helping get this right. Ultimately, I think we. Um, we want to capture the, uh, the, the good, um, good practice and the challenges and the lessons learned from our members and put that together into a, uh, an accessible, practical toolkit. Um, and one of the things that we, that we know is that there is some really good practice going on in the UK. This isn't starting from scratch, but it is quite sporadic. Um, and one of the things we want to do, and we are again quite good at, is coordinating. And we think that we can achieve a much greater impact if we coordinate this at a national level. Um, a local scheme potentially will have a very important impact at a local level. And we want to make sure that if that is, uh, you know, if it's a success, successful scheme that we learn from that and that we can perhaps apply that model across the UK or indeed match it up with other similar models that are, you know, that are in place around the UK as well. Um, and we believe that this should be accessible to everybody. Um, I think one of the challenges is uh, potluck. You don't know where to look to get information. We had a very personal story from a, a mother of a, an, autistic, uh, an autistic lad who clearly showed aptitude in coding, clearly showed aptitude in web design and, and so on. Had gone through school, um, but was really struggling to find any meaningful kind of work experience or um, uh, you know internship or anything like that um, in the sector. You know, in our sector now, it's a very direct example. But you know, through our through our members and so on, yeah, we managed to help them. And that, that wasn't what we set ourselves up to do, but it was quite an enjoyable um, you know thing to be able to help someone through our connections. And that's what got us thinking, well, we should be able to do this much more broadly than just one person. Um, and so we want to set up a, you know, a kind of a national hub uh, through Cyber Exchange uh, to, um, you know, having mapped what's out there, to link it all together in one place. And then that gives a much easier thing to then go out and promote at events like Trivenham so that people can access that and know what's going on and, uh, you know, follow through and, and, and apply. Um, because otherwise it really is down to who you know, which, if you don't know anyone, is a big challenge. Huge challenge. Yeah. Obviously, as you know, I work for a staffing or recruitment firm, however you want to label it. How can we do more to help this go away from being a barrier to an opportunity? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I think um, one thing that's really important is that the uh, CIPD, Chartered Institute of Personnel Development, um, have produced, uh, the, you know, they're clearly taking this very seriously as well and see a lot of potential here. And uh, they've uh, produced an excellent, uh, um, an excellent resource around uh, you know, recruiting new diverse into the workplace. And um, there's a lot of useful lessons in there that, that we're also looking at, at doing. But I, I, you'll find in the cybersecurity sector that people often talk about the skills gap. Now, we know that one exists because we, we struggle to recruit the right skills and the right people for, for what we're looking for. Exactly what the figures are and exactly what the figures will be are somewhat of uh, an unknown, but insert an alarming figure here as to you know, what we've got to look forward to, unless we do something. 
So our point here is that, hold on a minute, there's a whole section of society that potentially possess the skills and aptitude for a successful career, which we mentioned earlier. But this isn't just about plugging a hole to fill the as-is. It's about tapping into um, you know, a, a potential resource pool of, of very highly skilled, very, um, what's the, how do you say aptitude as a, uh, with, with the aptitude and skill set um, you know, for that successful career? And, and can, and can look at potential and future problems facing the cybersecurity industry in ways that perhaps we're not currently doing. Yeah. And I think that's the way to fill the skills gap, not necessarily robbing Peter to pay Paul in the carousel of, uh, of uh, you know, leaving one company and going to the next one, um, because you'll always have a skills gap. So we need to look at uh, flexible, more other ways of recruiting, other ways of bringing skills into the sector. And I know there's good work being done uh, in terms of... Um, uh, you know, bringing uh, ex-service into the sector, for example, reskilling and retraining ex-service into the sector. Um, women in cyber is a fantastic, uh, growing, you know, incredibly well. Um, and you know, neurodiversity wants to achieve something similar. Um, I think there's you know, huge potential here uh, to um, not just fill a skills gap, but also to fill it in an incredibly creative and meaningful way that will be of real benefit for the sector and the future of the sector. How can individuals improve the cybersecurity ecosystem? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> How can individuals, do you mean neurodiverse individuals or do you mean everybody? Everybody. Okay. Through being open to innovation, I guess, and through being open to new ways of thinking. What, well, what I've seen in the past, and this might get shouted down a bit, is that the sector can be quite old-fashioned at times, probably because of its kind of um, physical, you know, policing, military-type past. And, you know, in other countries, you, you see that. You see that, you know, the cybersecurity stuff is managed through the military, for example. And there's a place for that, certainly. It's a very important part of, of defence. But um, what we're seeing, I think, in this country is, uh, um, you know, certainly a move away from that towards looking at this in a... You know, not the usual suspects type way, you know, looking at problems in a different way and looking at um, how we can address the current problems or current challenges and future challenges in a much more creative and, uh, and interesting way. And you know, certainly uh, government have just launched the new uh, London Cyber Innovation Centre. There's already a Cheltenham Innovation Centre uh, or Accelerator with GCHQ. Um, and we're looking at uh, uh, providing opportunities for people with good ideas to uh, bring those ideas through to fruition. Now, they could come from academia, they could come from someone in their garden shed with a light bulb moment. Uh, it could come from anywhere. And what we're looking at doing is providing support for those ideas to help them succeed and help the best ones become you know, the next Sophos, the next Mindcast, the next Dark Trace, whoever it might be. And I think um, if we provide the opportunities for people with these great ideas to test them, and if they haven't got a product, then fine, and help them develop those ideas into a viable product. To sum up, how do you see this evolving in the next three to five years if we're looking at neurodiversity as a subject? I think... Um, I see neurodiversity as a really 
the key part of the future of cybersecurity in the UK. And what we want to do, certainly in the short term, uh, I've mentioned the toolkit and you know practical practical advice and practical guidance uh, and opportunities to you know for our wonderful companies in the cyber sector to you know to look at doing this and learn more about it and uh, and and see it as a viable thing to do. Um, what we want to do in a slightly longer term environment is to uh, produce a national strategy for this. We want to find out what's going on, what all the good opportunities are, the good initiatives that are going on out there, and then work out what we need to do in terms of filling the gaps. Um, we do some good work with, uh, uh, with the National Crime Agency and um, the Regional Organised Crime Units around the Prevent Strategy from the Home Office, and um, or Cyber Prevent Strategy, I was. Um, and, um, these are just parts of this ecosystem. And we, what I really want to do is to bring this all together so that we can map that pathway right the way through um, to make sure that um, from whatever entry point, be that um, early years, be that through schooling, be that through non-linear, through linear education paths, be it through maybe slightly going off on the wrong tracks and then being brought back in through some of the excellent work that the regional organized crime units do, um, that then there are the opportunities once you go through that. That then there are the opportunities to uh, you know to progress your career for the good guys. I think I think in summary, the cybersecurity sector has a responsibility to these guys. That if we don't provide the opportunities for a career in cybersecurity for neurodiverse individuals, then someone else will. And we found that in you know it can be that uh, some guys might be more susceptible to coercion or influence from elsewhere. Um, and um, that can lead to going down the wrong path. And certainly looking at home office statistics, uh, you know, prosecuted cybercrime contains a proportion of neurodiverse uh, um, individuals. Uh, you know, and um, we want to make sure that um, once we, you know, once you've built up a bunch of cyber skills and you, you've shown aptitude there and you're doing really well, um, if we, you know, if we provide those opportunities, then we also need to provide the jump from that into employment and into, you know, retained employment as well. So it's not just a, a one-off; it's, you know, something that we can that we can do on a repeatable level. And um, I think that's more than enough for the next three to five years and that will probably take even more time than that to get it right. I think the good thing about this is that other sectors as well are looking at this. I think the cyber sector is the first to look at it as a joined up sector but I think um, it's a Venn diagram waiting to happen and there's no reason whatsoever why a lot of the work that we do test it, if it works, great, but that can't be applied to other sectors as well. And then you start to build up a really important national picture. There are some idiosyncrasies of the cyber sector, um, such as especially through the, uh, you know, the training um, and the skills you know, around coding and so on, but um, it certainly shouldn't be assumed that every neurodiverse individual is going to be the best coder since, um, you know, the point is that this is about different ways of thinking and it shouldn't just be assumed that because you happen to be neurodiverse that you're going to be fantastic at coding or data analytics or pattern recognition. Although that might be prevalent among some, it's certainly not the point we're trying to make. We want to make sure the door's open to, uh, you know, to all neurodiverse in a sector that uh, has exactly the same requirements as any other sector, plus an additional layer of technical expertise. Now, what I didn't tell you was that we finish every podcast with the same 10 questions. Right. Are you ready? Hit me. What turns you on professionally? Entrepreneurialism. 
What turns you off professionally? Red tape. How do you unwind? Playing with the kids. What profession other than your own would you would you like to try? Artist. What activity gives you the most energy? Got to be careful what I say. Um, <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> um, gives me the most energy. Um, pass. Who is your biggest inspiration? Oh, there's so many. Um, does it have to be someone that everybody knows? No, not necessarily. Whether they listen to this podcast or not, I don't know. There was a, a, an ex-services chap, a chap called Roger Cumming, who was a leader of mine, and the first real mentor I had, um, an inspirational chap, still is. If you had to present a speech right now, what one word would be its subject? Oh, it would have to be neurodiversity. It's a passion. You're at your best when you're doing what? Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> if today was the last day of your life, what one lesson would you like to impart? Whatever you do, you've got to have passion. I've been, I think we've all been through periods of our life where we've thought that this is what it's all about, but it isn't necessarily. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to have passion and you're not going to be successful. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as the reason he is letting you through the gates? You thought about others. You weren't all about yourself. Perfect. Okay, so tell us, Mike, where can people find you? How can people find your work? So Cyber Exchange, uh, it's all online. Um, so they would need to go to uh, www.cyberexchange.uk.net. And if you want to find out more about neurodiversity and the work that we're doing there, go to www.neurocyber.uk. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Carl. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For the latest episodes, please subscribe. And for future conversations, reach out on Twitter and LinkedIn. 